And our reading from the New Testament today comes from Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 38. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. They were Sopatar, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Tychus from Trophimus, from the province of Asia. It went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed a week. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent him over, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. Paul went by land to Assos, where he had arranged for us to join him while we traveled by ship. He joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed the island of Samos, and a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the, the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased by his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves still come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. <clears throat> Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. 
You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with him. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad, most of all, because he had said they would never see him again. Then they escorted him toward the And we are continuing our sermon uh, that was started yesterday by Wes Thompson from Veritas West. Uh, this is part two in the conclusion of his sermon from uh, last Sunday, June 26th, on sexuality. Hopefully what I want us to see by reading all of the scripture is that the Bible emphasizes sexual purity. Emphasize. It's up there. It's a big deal. Because the Bible is written for us and God knows this is something we deal with. But the underlying struggle with sex is really an issue of worship. I want that to sink in. The underlying issue with sex or struggle with sex is really an issue of worship because as counselor Paul Tripp writes... He says, worship means to bow down, to obey, to trust, and to serve. And when we misuse sex for personal fulfillment, we end up worshiping it. In effect, we bow down to it, we obey its lustful desires, we trust it will bring us joy, and we serve it by engaging in sinful acts. We worship it. Our culture worships sex. It becomes a functional savior, meaning we begin to use sex selfishly because we've believed the lie that it will fulfill us in ways that only God can fulfill us. We misuse sex, it gratifies our flesh, our soul wallows up in shame, and we do it again to minimize some of the shame by making our flesh feel better. And it's this cyclical, toxic cycle. After a long time of living this way, our hearts become calloused. We don't feel as much shame or we've learned to avoid it altogether. And the only way we can remove the shame is to adopt the worldview that sex is God and therefore we're made to succumb to its demands. It feels so good. This is how it should be. This is right. This is good. This is actually the way to live. And that's why Paul in Romans 1.24 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So the only way for us to believe that sex is, you know, is whatever we want it to be and are able to remove shame is to put sex as the Lord of our life and not the biblical God. And what I know is this. Chances are, if you're religious, there are many of you that agree with what I'm saying. The problem is this. There's a large chasm between what we believe and the way in which we live. There's a large chasm between the way, you know, what we believe and the way in which we live. Many of us believe sexual purity is something that's good, but few of us actually practice it. Kevin DeYoung writes, Brothers and sisters, and this is such a good quote. Brothers and sisters, we must be more vigilant with our kids, with our families, with our Facebook accounts, with our tw- texts, with our tweets, with our own eyes and hearts. Are we any different than the culture? The kinds of things Paul wouldn't even mention, the sort of sins he wouldn't dare joke about, the behaviors too shameful to even name, we hear them in almost every sitcom and see them on screens bigger than our homes. Here is worldliness as much as anywhere in the Christian life. 
Try turning off the television and staying away from the movies for a month and see what new things you see when you come back. I fear many of us have become numb to the poison we're drinking. When it comes to sexual immorality, sin looks normal, righteousness looks very strange, and we look a lot like everybody else. There must be a way forward. There must be a way forward. And and my last point is, friends, our situation is not hopeless. And I fear that many of you, when it comes to sexuality, have, have lost hope. You've lost hope. Listen to me. There is hope. Pastor DeYoung suggests four things to focus our attention to as we strive for sexual healing and purity. And the first of them being the gospel of God. The gospel. The gospel means good news. And we're presented biblically with good news. It's not bad news. Chances are you feel this wall of shame and guilt right now. And the only way forward, the only way forward in hope is to embrace and realize that God, the gospel is good news, that Jesus presents good news. We must realize, listen, we must realize that we are all sexually broken. Your problem is a sin issue that needs repentance and healing. Your sin issue is a big problem. And fortunately, we are met with a big God. See, if you see yourself as basically good and don't have many issues, then you have this puny God who will help you with your puny problems and will leave, that will leave you with kind of this small puny relationship. But the fact is God is infinitely better, more pure, wise, and sinless than you could ever be. And that means the fact that he offers to cleanse you is equally amazing. Look at, the, look at 1 John 1.9. The, the writer says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to clean us from unrighteousness. Praise God. Praise God. The gospel means that you can be clean. Kevin Young says the gospel. We need the gospel. Secondly, he says we need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. See, what the Bible teaches is that the Holy Spirit indwells, indwells Christ's followers which is the hope of power. It's the hope of making a better choice. It's the hope of being sexually pure. The Holy Spirit enables us to say no to worldly values and say yes to God. The Holy Spirit empowers us to believe the gospel. I can't do it. I can't stop. I'll never change. Many of you, many of us have taken that posture. And it might take time. You might struggle. We live in a broken world. We are broken. But you know who isn't broken? God, instead of relying on your will to change, I would encourage us to surrender to God, to come desperate before God, and to ask the Spirit to empower us. Thirdly, we need, well, first we need the gospel, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to to live a new way, and thirdly, we need Christ. 
If there's one thing I want us to walk away from this with, I want us to walk away with this heart posture that in Christ there's hope for change. When it comes to sexual sin, many people will lament, I'm never going to be any different. Will I ever grow here? Is there ever going to be a way forward? And in this life, you you may never lose all sinful sexual desires. Okay? But in Christ, there's hope for transformation. Sanctification is the theological word which means us becoming more like Jesus. And there is hope for change in Jesus. And so a question for you, a question for us, you person that's struggling with hope in this area, is our focus, is your focus more on Jesus or more on your problems? Is your focus more on Jesus or more on your struggle? Is your attention on Jesus or is your attention on your desires? My encouragement to you is to focus your attention to Christ, the hope of transformation and change. Lastly, we need God's word. Kevin DeYoung writes, with the word of God, there's hope for holiness. Listen, we need a new way of thinking. We need a new category for this. The Bible calls it renewing our minds. We need to renew our minds. Our thoughts turn into beliefs which motivate our actions. We need new thoughts. We need new biblical categories. You have embraced worldly values way more than you think. Every time you intake any media, you are being indoctrinated with worldly values. And my encouragement to you isn't just shut everything down, but to be indoctrinated by Scripture and that you would see all that you see through the lens of the Bible. We must renew our minds. We must renew our minds with the Word of God so that what we believe leads to actions that worship God. So let's end with hopefully what's a little bit of application. Look at the Bible and look at your life. It seems simple. Let's start there. Too often in the church, the narrative, the conversation that we uh, we default to, is I feel this way and I feel that way and I want this and I want that. And quite frankly, the Bible teaches that our desires are deceitful. And so I want and I feel don't warrant us to do whatever we wish. Look at the Bible and look at your life. Be honest with yourself. That's probably one of the hardest things to do. Irreligious sociologists and psychologists will tell us that we like to believe we're much better than we truly are. Be honest with yourself. Secondly, be honest with other Christians. Stop thinking Thirdly, and this is huge, stop thinking that other sexual struggles are worse than yours. Stop thinking that other people's sexual struggles are worse than yours. What frustrates me about many of us in the evangelical church is we get up in arms about identity issues and same-sex marriage and and all these gender issues while at the same time practicing immoral sexual acts. I want us to be grieved by pornography, by cohabitation, living with somebody that's not your spouse. 
And, and I want us to be grieved by, you know, the premarital sex the same way we grieve other sexual sins. So in conclusion, how do we live? And I hate doing this stuff because it seems cliche to me, but I think I need to say it. When it comes to pornography, listen, if, you, if you're viewing porn, you know, there's guys I talk to, there's folks I talk to that are just, you know, I mean, every once in a while, I'm like, how often? Like every other day. Let's just call it, that's addiction, okay? You need to be vigilant about that. There's books out there that, that show you scientifically. There's, there's scientists that have done studies on the effects of pornography and specifically the male brain. And it re- this sounds bizarre. You're like, what? It rewires your brain. It is physiologically unhealthy for you. And I could go on and on about that. You need to introduce, and you're going to be like, you're going all law on me. You need to introduce whatever, whatever boundaries you need to quit. If that means you need to pay for the software, do it. If you need to get rid of your, of, your, of your cell phone or your smartphone, do it. We need as a church to take it serious. If you're in a, and if you're in a relationship with a non-Christian, I know this is so countercultural, break up. Especially if you're having sex. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Why does it make sense? Why does it make sense for us to be in a romantic relationship with somebody who has a completely different worldview than we do? Think about it that way. It makes no sense. You are going to disagree on the things that you say matter more than anything in the universe. That makes no sense. (laughs) Censoring myself. So what does it mean to strive for holiness sexually? Just for clarity's sake, let's be reminded, Pastor Kevin DeYoung writes, unmarried Christians, the general rule is this, don't do with another guy or girl what you wouldn't do with your brother or sister. That should hit us all. Married Christians, the motto that we should take is your sexuality is for your spouse. Your sexuality is for your spouse. Listen, on the ground, when it comes to where we are, the location we are, and the time and history in which we live, we are surrounded by sexual brokenness. Both within ourselves, with those around us, and with our culture. The church must be a safe place for people to wrestle with these things. It has to be. And we must proclaim biblical truth, but we must speak from the perspective of a fellow struggler. Like you have no right to tell somebody something if you think that you've got it all together. Because the only good person we see in Scripture is Jesus. And chances are you might not have a particular sin struggle set as someone else, but you have one. In Christ, there's hope for change. In Christ, there's hope for transformation. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you to change our hearts. 
because there's, there's those of us in here today that are, are very angry. And you just feel it. I mean, there's those of us in here that are, that are hopeless. There's those of us in here that feel really self-righteous because we've been pure, for, you know, you've been pure for a month and now you think you're, you're perfect. We are sexually broken people. We live in a culture that worships sex and denies your power. We ask that you would, you'd move mightily in our lives and, and in the lives of other people. God, please make us humble. Make us selfless. We don't speak about this from the, from the, from the standpoint that, we are, that we're fine, that we're okay, and those people out there aren't. We are in need of your mercy. We ask that you would bring healing and change. We want to worship you and not sex. Give us hope. Give us faith. And our reading from Psalm today comes from Psalm 148, verses 1 through 14. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. And reading from Proverbs is Proverbs 18, 6 and 7. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. The mouth of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips.
Changing love. 